0: This is Possibility Politics with Jeff Stein. The show where social, political, economic, spiritual, and philosophical discourse goes to live. We never give up the high moral ground, take no political divisioners, and fight until the bitterness ends. And now, here's your host, recovering hope addict and paid volunteer in the American experiment, Jeff Stein.
1: Welcome to the show. Are you feeling it? Are you enjoying this unprecedented moment in history? Because, you know, there is no better time to be alive than right now. This is the greatest social, political, economic, spiritual, and technological renaissance in the history of mankind. And I love everything that is happening right now. (laughs) But I can hear you. You're saying, Jeff. It sucks right now. I know, I know. It's, it's worse than it's ever been, man. How can you say this is a renaissance? You know, things like wealth is concentrated in the hands of the few. Wages are not keeping up with inflation. The middle class is revolting. Uh, violence by bullet has moved from the battlefield to our towns, you know. Our schools, malls, concerts, and churches Sure, Jeff, we have mass information and communication, but it's it's been corrupted by malicious, coordinated falsehood. And we're just dying out here for some truth that we can rely upon. Right. That racial tension is louder than ever, with everyone fighting to be recognized as unique individuals. And and, and of course, you know, that other political party is doing everything it can to undermine all the progress that's been made. Uh, not to mention the planet is in danger that sucks and it's going to require a global a global commitment to do something about it and our, desti- our our democratic system of justice is being tested like never before and all the way up to the highest offices of our republic and the me too reckoning is affecting everything everywhere and has no sign of reducing in its volume and and oh access to healthcare it's under threat and people are mad as hell, and not going to take it anymore. And 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 most of all, uh, we all seem to be perpetually divided, losing sight of our common humanity. Does that sound about right? Does that sound more like it? Not like a reticence. <laughs> In fact, here's here's our mantra of today's possibility politics: with high contrast comes high growth, meaning that. You want to measure a society's evolution not by how many tragedies occur, but by how many lessons are being learned. As the masters say, it's not the answers we seek, but the questions, for they give birth to all answers, because you cannot ask a question for which there isn't already an answer, right? And the question isn't, you know, how much does the world suck right now, Jeff? But rather, what new way, new path has been realized? You know, what painfully obvious solution was born in this painful problem? And, and, and that's, that's kind of the, you know, the sarcastic mantra of possibility politics today. When the solution is finally painfully obvious, then the light is revealed and the majority will always recognize the light and go toward it. Yes, they will. I know you're saying, no, they won't. No, they won't. Yeah, and you're right. There will be some who will hold on to their pain, their rage revenge, terror, their shame, their guilt, their despondency. Uh, you know, they will choose to blind themselves of the light of the painfully obvious truths, and they will, you know, most likely use their pride, deadly sin number 7 by the way. They'll use their pride which is their determination to resist acceptance or kindness or curiosity or faith to resist change. That's what pride does to you. And it convinces you of the nobility of your resistance to your own evolution by telling you that it is your strength of conviction that makes you great. You know, it is your power, your willpower to stick to what you know, stick to what you already know. You know, it, it, it is your power to stand your ground and resist changing for anyone ever. I'm never going to change. <laughs> you know, that, that willpower to, to never compromise. Ooh, compromise, right? Which means to to never consider anyone else's ideas unless they perfectly fit your already constructed beliefs. Think about that, right? Never compromise me. Never compromise means you will never consider anyone else's ideas unless they fit perfectly into your constructed beliefs. Beliefs that you have, you know, reconstructed and set in stone. That dirty word of compromise, you know, budging on your previously constructed beliefs is blasphemy. You know, considering the possibility that you might find a belief that serves you better than the one you already had by listening to another perspective. Oh, no, we don't want that. That's weak. All right. Be strong. Never change. So there's those folks, those folks, and and those are the ones that are loud right now. So it seems like that's the world. And they might go to their grave believing the same thing tomorrow that they believe the day before and the day before that. And, And they might just stay like that. But ironically, you cannot help but change. (laughs) No matter what you do in life, one of two things will occur. You will evolve or devolve. You will move toward love or fear, inspiration or desperation, curiosity or certainty, faith or aloneness, knowingness or victimhood, (laughs) kindness or rightness. One of those two. You You will create a life of more pain or less pain. And if you keep, you know, devolving, the painfully obvious will become more painful and more obvious. Now, possibly only obvious to others, but uh, despite your denial, you will experience no less pain. Resisting your own evolution, your own growth, your own learning, your own awakening, resisting your own truth. It's like, you know, being determined to hold a beach ball under the water which not only hold a beach ball under the water, but one that inflates larger every time you revisit your denial of your own truth. You know, I refuse to release my victimhood and recognize my power in my knowingness. Okay? I refuse to stop hating those people and recognize that it's me that suffers with the hate when I carry it around. You know, I, I'm stre- my strength of conviction makes sure that I refuse to change my ways and recognize that refusing to change is still change, <laughs> right? And, and, and if you do, you can, you can turn, you can pivot, you can embrace the possibility of life. If you allow it, the possibility that I might discover something new that enlarges my life. The possibility that I might meet someone who, you know, previously angered me, but now teaches me that it was my anger and it had nothing to do with them. This is why I love what's happening right now. Because high contrast means high growth. Painfully obvious means we've had enough pain and we know what needs to be done. And I know that we, as humans... Inherently prefer pleasure to pain. And so, you know, the vast majority of us will ride this this whoosh of social, political, economic, spiritual and technological change like a roller coaster, like a thrilling, fun roller coaster. I'll admit these are not merry-go-round times. (laughs) And, and the thrill ride of society has screams and shrieks and even loss of consciousness sometimes for some people, but it's also way more fun and it provides way more excitement. And it, and, and it leaves us a more perfect union because we became more perfect humans in the process. So enjoy the ride. This is the best time to be alive ever. You will say that 10 or 20 years whatever years from now. And and like, you know, the roller coaster analogy, it will be almost as fun after the ride when you're all pumped up full of adrenaline saying, you know, holy crap, that was intense, but I'm so glad I got to ride it. I'm glad I'm alive in this time because I get to say I was there. I lived the insanity that preceded the burst of humanity. I lived the lesson that provided the growth. You know, I lived the last gasp of the broken, corrupt, cruel old ways and was part of the change that I and the world wished to see. And that, by the way, is why I do this show and that's why I call it possibility politics. Because you know, if you if you close your eyes and you stand near a roller coaster, right? Imagine that, you're closing your eyes standing there. You'd think you were in a screaming hell. <laughs> Do it sometimes. Go to music Park, close your eyes. But if you just open your eyes, you'll see it's the thrill of a lifetime. And everyone is enlarged by the process. Right? So when we return, we will pull the restraining bar down on the roller coaster and get specific on where our more perfect union stands today, including the Kavanaugh hearings (laughs) and election trends. We'll talk about where it's all going because uh, polls are starting to come in. The election season is on. Only a few primaries left. we got a little bit of time. we got a little, a little over 60 days before the midterm elections. We're going to do that, give you a tell-you of where it's going, what's been happening on both sides. Both sides. The Democratic Party revolution, the Republican Party re- re- rebranding. It's uh, a big upheaval, and there's lots to be discovered and learned in that. So that's coming up next. This is the place where we look at this great experiment called America – and hopefully leave it better than we found it. This is Possibility Politics. I'm Jeff Stein. This is Possibility Politics, the place where we feelize our way to a saner future. I'm Jeff Stein, and Judge Kavanaugh is now in the Senate, being grilled, as this expression goes. And uh, so far, evasion, lots of evasion. He punted uh, on the question of whether you could subpoena a president. Dianne Feinstein brought up his original quote saying that uh, he said, maybe Nixon was wrongly decided, heresy though it is to say so. He said that in 1999, questioning whether or not the uh, Supreme Court versus Nixon, U.S. versus Nixon, which uh, said you can uh, force a president to turn over documents, in this case the White House recordings, his tapes, And that, of course, is a big tape. Well, she asked him about him. He said, that quote is not in context. It was a misrepresentation of my position. I've repeatedly called U.S. versus Nixon one of the four greatest moments in Supreme Court history. Now, First of all, greatest? What does that mean? Does that mean you endorse it or not? Now, she followed up and she said, well, it kept asking her in many different directions and different ways. Does he think a sitting president can be required to respond to a subpoena? And he kept saying that's a hypothetical question. He took a big punt on that. So the Senate is trying to figure out the biggest question of all in this moment is whether or not you can subpoena a president. And whether you're for Trump or against Trump, this is a really important question because is a president above the law? The other big fun fact of the Kavanaugh experience, of course, is the massive numbers of documents that are being withheld, including hundreds of thousands, apparently. And, of course, the ones that have been released they are not being released to the National Archives. They're being released through the Bush Library. And, of course, that means that the Bush Library is choosing from them, which you know may or may not be fair. They may be choosing all of them and maybe being very nonpartisan and, and judicious about it. But if you want to avoid the impropriety, or this appearance of impropriety, then you don't want it to come from that. You want it to come from the National Archives. But the National Archives said that if it's millions of documents, it would take, not millions, but like a million documents, it would take until October. And of course, the Republicans don't want to wait. They want to put this through as fast as possible. And that is the other, and, and by the way, uh, some of the documents that they're withholding uh, by, pre- by uh, executive privilege, the Trump White House is withholding about 100,000 documents Saying uh, claiming executive privilege, which is unprecedented. Reagan tried that, and then both Republicans and Democrats in the Congress said, no, I don't think that's cool. And he said, you're right, it's not cool, and he handed him over. (laughs) It was kind of over. That was the end of it. But in this case, they are holding withholding documents, including documents that detail all of his writing suggestions and, and opinions when he was working in the Bush White House for the justification of torture, And extraordinary rendition. And without going back into the weeds of that topic, those are uh, potentially war crimes. And even George W. Bush said those documents should be released. The president who was president, president at the time, said you should release them all. So what's the problem, right? The Democrats had this funny line. Would you allow someone to do a job interview and only see 10 percent of their resume? It's a clever line, but it's kind of true. And it appears that they're hiding and rushing it through. And my friends on the right would say, well, no, they're just, you know, this is just stupid. It's a charade. This is just a bunch of partisan crap from the Democrats. Nobody can read through that much stuff, Uh, even though uh, the the, the, uh, hearings opened yesterday with... um, Chuck Grashley saying we read through all the documents and then the rep- the Democrats uh, retorted quickly saying you read 7000 pages an hour because that's how many they only had enough hours since the documents were released they would have had to read 7000 pages an hour. Now it all sounds very the typical, you know, partisan hypocrisy and mockery. So you're trying to sort through it all and it's Uh, You know, this is where the one that falls on the side of the polls (laughs) in the sense that the majority of Americans, this, this judge has the lowest poll support Kavanaugh does since Myers or Bork. You know Bork, of course, he was tossed out because he was way too extreme. And Harriet Myers was George W. Bush's personal lawyer, who had had no experience in courtrooms and no experience in in advocating or ju- adjudicating any cases or trying. She was just a she was a, no disrespect to her her lawyering. She was a great personal lawyer for for one man and one operation, but she has no exposure. And so they, you know, she had terrible support and they had to withdraw her. And that's where Kavanaugh sits in the approval. And it makes sense because this guy, you know, for whatever you want to say about him, and I'm going to give you the conservatives, conservatives, I'll give you your argument if you want to, uh, you know, get this guy through. Because if you, if you love this guy, and I know why you do, but in the meantime, there is no question. This is the most tribalist partisan candidate in the history of judicial candidates and you know, that, have, that have made it this far, at least. And meaning that he has a long record of when there is an infraction by a Democrat, he argues it as a pure criminality, and when there's a criminality by a Republican, he argues it as being insignificant and and not uh, doesn't matter, right? And that's what lawyers are supposed to do. I'm not saying that isn't you know there are there are the Kellyanne Conways and and even on the, on the left, obviously have their versions. Who whose job it is? To argue that your side is right, the other side is wrong all the time. But as, as, a, as a nation, we are pretty unanimous on the idea that we don't want hyper partisan people in the Supreme Court. <laughs> That's pretty clear. So, and he may get confirmed. If he does, there will be a different kind of hell to pay. We'll talk about that. But conservatives, I know why. You guys want this guy because he will continue this Supreme Court that has ruled 73 to zero in favor of co- corporations over labor, over individuals, over uh, the EPA, over you know uh, other other advocacies who try to restrict corporate uh, ability to just you know do what they want to do. And if that's your advocacy, I get it. He's your guy. If you are a conservative Christian who wants abortion to be illegal and wants Roe v. Wade overturned. He's your guy. He will do that for you. And I understand. And I understand that's a fight of your life. You look at it like we're, we're, we're debating killing babies. And so no one's going to try to talk you out of that position. Okay? But, but reproductive rights of, of women it will be the future, period. You can fight against that one because I'll tell you what, not to, not to give you the bad news, but if you get Kavanaugh confirmed and Roe v. Wade is overturned, there will be, especially if you look at the way the electorate is right now, and, and and the ladies who are unquestionably more riled, more enthused, and more active than they have ever been in electoral history in America, period, ever, no question. That is verifiable data. And if you put in a guy, another white male, <laughs> who restricts the rights of women, the remedy <laughs> will be constitutional amendments. And you will get an amendment that will be pushed through that says that women uh, have a right to choose to control the destiny of their reproductive system period. And then every attempt you've had to make abortion illegal or, or even restricted will end. So that's kind of how pendulum swings go. It's happened before. It's like the more you restrict the vote of uh, you know of, of minorities or or people of different economic status, the more you're going to inspire laws to to counter it. It always does, and that's one of the good news. We're going to talk about that too. But the you know the, like after Nixon, a lot of laws were put in place because people recognize that there are some holes in our democracy that need to be plugged, and this will cause some of those too. But conservatives, if you want this guy through, if if you think he's your guy, then. The fact that they're that your your party your team Republicans right now are hiding all the documents and trying to force it through, uh, that I and mean, that is the only explanation to their behavior, because if they felt like he was as wonderful and great and testable as they say he is, you know, like for instance they try to say well Elena Kagan was shoved through and then of course immediately everyone looked at the actual congressional record and showed how the Democrats released ninety nine percent. The Obama administration released 99% of documents that were requested within 12 days before the hearings began. And that gave everyone lots of time to look at it. This case, they still haven't released all the documents, still unwilling to. And if you believe that he's awesome, which, okay, say he's awesome. This is a lifetime appointment. And you're not willing to wait a month? for the National Archives to complete and release all the documents and vet them. Obviously, you want to take out the ones that are classified or what have you, and you can dispute individual documents. But this is a lifetime appointment, and it's your game over, in your opinion, right? You'll, you'll overturn Roe v. Wade. You'll make sure corporate dominance is assured. Well, then let it wait a month. Release the documents. Let him stand in the winds of questioning, and then let the, the Senate vote and say, yep, we put it all on the table, and we decided with you know, 50 whatever votes that we're gonna put him through. Let it happen. Don't be afraid of, you know, because if you're shoving it through, then you're just being partisan. Then you need to look at your own house and recognize that you're just mad at Democrats and you want Democrats shut up and you just want a little revenge and you want them to have to suffer. No, let Democrats have all the documents, and then try, then, then put him in front the hearings and confirm him. And then you'll have it clean. You'll say, hey, we let him see everything. We let him argue everything. And then we've decided. Uh, But of course, what you're afraid of, what the Republicans in Congress are afraid of, is that he will be the author of war criminal torture, that he is hyper-partisan, that he did lie to the Senate in his initial confirmation because he said he was not part of those things. Then documents came out later that said he was part of it. And it turns out he was lying. So uh, you know, you got to have him stand and give him that opportunity to answer these things. If he can satisfactorily answer all of the critiques of these documents, then you will have a, quote-unquote, clean candidate. You'll say, you know, the Democrats will say, well, he's too conservative. Well, that's that's too bad, right? I mean, if he's too conservative, that's, that's how it works, right? If you get him through, uh, but if you hide it and then you find out later, and then you come to a constitutional crisis because the president is being uh, threatened with a subpoena, and this judge, who won't answer the question, Kavanaugh, rules with the other four justices and says, well, you know what? You can't go after a president. He's immune to crime. I don't think you want that, uh, not only because of Donald Trump, but, you know, Donald Trump won't be the last president, I assume, <laughs> even though that's a joke that goes around on the Internet and on Stephen Colbert. But... Um, he won't be the last president. There will be a Democratic president. And, and I can assure you, conservatives, you're going to want that Democrat to be accountable to the rule of law. Uh-huh, right? <laughs> but this is all unprecedented. And it is unprecedented for a Supreme Court justice to lie even on his opening interview. Remember when, he, when Donald Trump rolled him out? And the first thing he said was, no president in history has met with more justices and done more research on judicial candidates than Donald Trump. Now, we know that's a lie. (laughs) And that's not necessarily disparagement to Donald Trump. We just know that he didn't. There's not even possible time. He was given the name Kavanaugh a few days prior to that. So it's not even possible for him to have met with more justices and more research than any candidate. And that's what Judge Brett Kavanaugh said the first time he took the microphone as a Supreme Court nominee. This is your guy. This is your hyper partisan guy. But if you want him, you got to stand on your vote. You guys want to be proud of your vote. You want to be able to say it. Then say today. Say bring it on. Bring on those documents. Tell it. Prove that he's great. Prove that even though his time working with Ken Starr and making up uh, crimes on Bill Clinton, some of them you know had merits. Most did not. Uh, but let it stand. And if people look at it and say, yep, he's good. This is a lifetime appointment because currently his approval ratings are in the toilet down at the worst of the worst nominees in American history. Now, coming up, let's talk about uh, Nike. (laughs) That seems to be having a little bit of reaction when we return to Possibility Politics, the place where news and life meets optimism and patriotism. Welcome back to Possibility Politics, the place where we try to provide a more satisfying perspective on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I'm Jeff Stein, and in the pursuit of uh, shoe sales, Nike, for its 30th anniversary of the Just Do It campaign, 1988, not that crazy, when they first said Just Do It. In honor of that, apparently they've been paying Colin Kaepernick for some time in anticipation of the opportunity to use him as the face of this new campaign. And I can hear my right-wing friends who uh, my flag wavers, God bless them, saying, uh, being absolutely disgusted by his, his slogan, believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. That's a very interchangeable statement, guys. I mean, if you're a, um, if you're a, if you're a person who believes that, uh, that what Colin Kaepernick's doing is, is highly disrespectful to America uh, because he's standing up or he's kneeling during the flag uh, during this national anthem, well, believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. Isn't that what the troops do? That he's supposedly disrespecting. It's fascinating to have a a, a statement like that to be so interchangeable and yet create such a, you know polarization. Um, but <laughs> so, how's that going to play out, and what's the lesson there, right? The lesson is, and the, and, the, and the conservative Christian right should know this: uh, don't make a martyr out of your uh, <laughs> out of your opponents, uh, because you'll just, you know, it's you'll Obi Wan Kenobi them. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. And the more you push back, the more you burn your Nikes, the more it actually inflates the cause. And that's what Donald Trump's been doing. You know, even uh, that ad that was run by a, a a citizen on on Fox News that Donald Trump could see it when he was saying, stop talking about these things, or stop, he was saying specifically, stop talking about uh, getting rid of Mueller. It makes you look weak, right? If you're so innocent, then stop thinking about it. And that's, and that's the same thing with the, the, this flag kneeling. It's like, if the flag means so much to you and the troops are so important to you, then, then just let Kaepernick just be annoying. Just, like, just let him be this stupid fool who doesn't get it. But when you push back, Against him, you inflate his cause. You reinvigorate his cause, which, you know, it's a cause that's been going on since pretty much slavery ended. If, if, you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, do yourself a favor and watch the documentary The 13th, which is about the 13th Amendment, which involves slavery, but also included the clause that said that you can continue to enslave people as long as they've committed a crime. And so slaves went from being just a, a legal thing to do to, hey, let's find black people guilty of things, and then we can incarcerate them and make them criminals, and then they're still slaves. That's an over-exaggeration, obviously, but no, watch, the, watch the documentary. And so the cause of, of, of justice racially is not only uh, going to continue whether you burn your Nikes, but you should take a look around. It's on. And, 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 I, and I implore you for those folks who are saying, well, I'm not racist. I just don't like them, you know, t- talking against the American flag and this and that everybody do a gut check on your own racism. You really should. I know I had to look inward myself um, because it wasn't until really, I don't know how recent ago, but I would still if I saw, you know, even, hey, take the obvious one. You see some, uh, you know, guy in a hoodie and you think, oh, he might be, you know, dangerous. And I had to kind of stop myself. and go, "Wow, why do I? Where did I get that? Why do I have that? Do I want that?" And and generally speaking, you know, when you meet people, uh, even in, in in what would you could call a racist area, I mean, there are those who outwardly say, you know, people of, uh, that are non-white should be removed from society. There are the obvious ones, but most people are kind and decent. It's like, oh yeah, I'm, you know, I totally get along with so and so and so and so and so of a different race, a different gender, a different whatever. Uh, It's just, you know, the way they, you know, do this and the way they do that and the way they do this and the way they cheat this. And it's like, well, okay (laughs) look at that. Is that generalization generalization helping you? And you want to look at it because it's on. This is a country that is the, you know, rainbow colors of Benetton or whatever. There is this is a diverse nation. And we got an election coming up in a little over 60 days, which is going to exemplify that in a way that has never been experienced in American history by uh, leaps and bounds. Most recently, we just had an election in, in uh, Massachusetts where, where Capoto, the white um, Democrat, this is a Democratic North Boston area, and it's gonna, it was going to vote for a Democrat. Very, very blue, right? And the, and the Democrat who was there was the white guy has been a reliable progressive. Nobody has any problem in that district the lefties don't. With his voting record, with his sense of equality, but then comes along Ayana Presley, who is a city council member, a black lady who um, it ran with very much acknowledging that that the the current congressman's vote were fine. There's no difference. There's no daylight between their progressiveness, and yet. She won simply because it's a very black. There's a lot of black folks in that district. And they said, "Ah, you know what? I remember I was reading a Washington Post article where they went on the streets and just asked folks who were out there, uh, you know, and said, well, I'd like they're both great candidates. They both vote exactly the way I would want them to. But I kind of want somebody that looks like me. I want greater representation. And that's an interesting thing because I can hear some of my white friends going, you know, my white male friends going, well, that's kind of reverse racism. Because now you're just picking her because she's black. If they're exactly the same, why don't you just go with the guy that was already there? Well, because we want they want diversity. We want, they want, you want it, you want Congress to look like America. You want it to have half women. Really, it should be like 50 point whatever percent women, because there's actually more women, right? So it should be 50% women. It should be X percent, you know, Asian, Black, Latino, uh, Native American. In fact, we have a Native American con- con- Congressperson coming up. Who, assuming they win their district, because it is a safe district, we're going to have our, you know one of our first Native American women Congresswomen. But there is a wave of women and people of color and even transgenders and such who are coming up in these elections that are going to dramatically, mostly on the Democratic side, uh, because uh, you know come on, Republican Party, you know, get with the program. I I come from a family of Eisenhower Republicans, and, and it feels like that was the last time where race wasn't part of the dialogue of, of you know, the, the, the white nationalism. You got Laura Ingram just openly saying that these demographic changes, new Q word, these demographic changes have been foisted upon us. Look, it's not like that. You've, you've got to see that America is, it's diversity is what makes it great. Diversity makes business great. If you're, let's say you're a, a diehard conservative corporatist, do you want to do the same thing all the time forever, right? I mean, if you're making the same thing, like even if you're making Smucker's Jelly every day, uh, you still want to be open to a diverse idea that says that, hey, you know, we can get the berries and they're fresher and cheaper and more healthy if we do it this way. Oh, well, let's do that, Right. Diversity means new ideas, new perspectives that you haven't heard of. Because again, as I said at the top of the show, you either evolve or devolve, right? And devolve means your determination to stick with your old ideas. Evolution means you consider a new thought. Well, if it's a new thought, then it isn't a thought you already had. (laughs) You have to get it from a new place. And bringing in new faces and new genders and new backgrounds and new religions. And that's happening. And whether you like it or not, this is the last white moment. It's like that chart you saw. Everybody used to play when, when Barack Obama got president. And it showed 43 uh, white males and then Barack Obama. Well, they're going to have that chart for Congress. It's going to show this mass mosaic of white people on uh, no, November of 2018, and then I mean of, of 2018, and then in 2019 when that Congress takes effect, boom! You're going to suddenly see this diversity of color and gender that you've never seen before. This is on, and every poll is indicating that this election is going to be a blue wave whoosh. And, you know, and if people listen to the show, you know, I've, I'm guilty of being overly optimistic. This is kind of one of my things I do, but I've never been wrong. I've just been wrong about the timing. Sometimes my optimism takes longer years than I thought it would take, but it always does. In the same way that, you know, you can't keep, you know, people, black people slave forever. You can't keep women from not voting forever. Eventually it was going to happen, right? This diversity was going to eventually happen because we are a diverse nation. You know, even myself, I'm, I'm technically what you would call a white guy, but I don't even know what to call myself. You know, I've got, uh, I'm Norwegian and German and Polish and Irish and whatevers. And what does that all mean? And that used to be a thing. You go back a hundred years, you know, being Italian was considered the invasive immigrant. Being Irish was the invasive immigrant that was going to ruin America. All right. All these different things. And that is gone. So this blue wave, and the reason I say this blue wave is so assured, more, more optimistic than I would even normally be. And I don't mean optimistic because I'm necessarily endorsing it. I'm endorsing diversity. I'm endorsing change that brings in new perspectives. Because right now, unfortunately, my family's Republican Party is looking like it's trying to just get us back to the 1950s. And that just does never going to work. You can't hold that beach ball underwater. It, It just gets harder and harder and it just pops out. But the reason this is different this time is that since Donald Trump has been elected, there has not been a poll or an election or a special election That has gone anywhere but in the direction away from Donald Trump and the newly branded Republican Party of Donald Trump, and toward the 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 blue side. I hate I don't like use blue side because in fact, interestingly enough, a a lot of people, the millennials. I hate that term because we need new terms. But people under under 40, under 35, they didn't even like political parties because they grew grown up with nothing but but screaming. the two political parties and so there's not only a wave of change and new faces and new genders but a wave of i don't even want the damn label i'm just using the damn label of democrat because um it you have to pick one right now as this system exists but that's going to end probably too we may even get a little more closer to a multi-party system i mean we're pretty entrenched with our two parties uh but this tribalism is has been so bad for america uh, that people are dying for a difference, and they're doing it. And that's, again, we go back to the mantra of the show, painfully obvious. The tribalism is painful, and that's in the polls too. Um, and I'm not saying, when I said that every poll has been going that way, yeah, there have been some special elections that have still been held by the, by the incumbent, but there's been a shift of 8 or 10 or 12 or 20 points every single time in every single race and every single poll, and it even overcoming the gerrymandering and the voter suppression. This is like nothing we've ever seen before, truly unprecedented. And it's going to be a wave of waves. Now, it's not going to suddenly fix everything because... the other part of the polling, which is interesting, is it's really going to be decided by those who dis- who call themselves independents because on many different subjects and, and candidates, 90-something percent of Democrats uh, agree with the one side and then 90% of Republicans agree with the other side, and it's the middle that is going to decide. But right now, the independents are hitting at the sixty dis- percent plus fifty nine to 60% disapproval of Trump, and they're hitting at those 50-60% disapprovals of the Republican Party which has kind of toxified itself as identifying with the being a white nationalist corporatist corruption party that separates families at borders and doesn't do anything about it. And that's the comeuppance. It's coming up and it's happening now. This is Possibility Politics, the independent state of mind where we look at this gorgeous country and all her complicated glory and love her exactly the way she is. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks for listening. And we are talking about Judge Kavanaugh because uh, the hearings are on right now as I speak and uh, pulling things off as it goes. Yeah, he's punting on everything. And I think we're going to see the end of this era, too, because there was a time when you could ask a judge what they believed on things and you could really press them. But the last, uh, let's see, last four, three or four certainly Gorsuch, certainly John Roberts. Um, they, When you ask them what they agree, whether they agree or disagree on, on rulings and what they would rule, they always punt. And it's become kind of this weird norm that what judges do is just pretend like they just don't know and you just can't come up with an answer until you get in that seat and then you make a choice. Well, uh, we're kind of done with that, it looks like. Ah, uh, we're gonna find out, but this this era of just pretending like ah, you know, whatever, uh, you know, we don't we're, we'll find out when you get there. No, no, I don't think so. <laughs> and so we've already gotten into some of these weeds. Uh, we got into pre-existing conditions because obviously uh, with with health care and whether that is an upholdable law, uh, Judge Kavanaugh punted. He refused to answer. Specifically, and just kept his, his mantra for today, as I'll play in a second, has been basically I just, uh, you know, I just under, I understand the case. I understand it's difficult, but uh, I'm just not going to give you my opinion. And so he would not come down on whether or not pre existing conditions, demanding that insurance companies continue to insure you and take people with pre existing conditions, he wouldn't rule. On the case of whether or not a president can be subpoenaed, again, he punted. Said Nixon was a, was a great ruling, but then didn't say whether he would do it with Donald Trump or anybody else. Now we got the question of whether a president can pardon themselves, himself in this case. Again, would not answer. And Dianne Feinstein, again, senator from California, asked him about Roe v. Wade. And listen to what he says here.
0: I um, said that it's settled as a precedent of the Supreme Court entitled to respect under principles of stare decisis. And one of the important things to keep in mind about Roe v. Wade is that it has been reaffirmed many times over the past uh, 45 years, as you know. And uh, most prominently, most importantly, reaffirmed in Planned Parenthood versus Casey in 1992. And as you well recall, Senator, I know uh, when that case came up, the Supreme Court didn't just reaffirm it Uh, in passing, the court specifically went through all the factors of stare decisis in considering whether to overrule it.
2: Could I interrupt you to say, since you mentioned stare decisis, and I sat on nine of these hearings, and when the subject comes up, the person says, I will follow stare decisis, and they get confirmed, and then, of course, they don't. So I think knowing going into it, Um, how you make a judgment on these issues is really important to our vote as whether to support you or not. Because I don't want to go back to those death tolls in this country. And I truly believe that women should be able to control their own reproductive systems within, obviously, um, some concern for a viable uh, fetus. Mm -hmm.
0: And I understand your point of view on that, center, and I understand how passionate and how deeply people feel about this issue. I understand the importance of the issue. Uh, I understand
2: the
0: the importance that people attach to the Roe v. Wade decision, to the Planned Parenthood versus Casey decision. Uh, I don't live in a bubble. I understand I live in the real world. I understand the importance of the issue.
1: And there you go. I understand it's a difficult issue and lots of people are on different sides of it. But as she pointed out earlier in the clip too, is that uh, there have been a lot of justices, including John Roberts, who said they would follow stare decisis, which means they would follow this body of work. They would say that you know Roe v. Wade is, has been upheld for 45 years. Well, just saying, just having Kavanaugh saying it's been upheld for 45 years doesn't mean that he's going to uphold it. And John Roberts proved that. He, when he was being confirmed, there were several things that he said that have withstood precedent, and then he voted against them, most decidedly about free speech of corporations that corporations can spend unlimited cash on elections without telling you where the cash came from, who the donors are, and that was something that he thought would not occur, but then he overruled himself. Same thing with, you know, healthcare. So what he seems to be doing, Kavanaugh is going to just continue to punt and pretend like he doesn't have any idea how he would rule on it until he got in the chair, and it's going to force senators to decide whether or not that's good enough and of course the democrats uh, seem to be unified in their opposition that it ain't good enough you know these are two important issues these are issues that are going to change america (laughs) it's
0: like wow
1: right he's not going to answer that question so you have to decide in the absence of the answer this is the world we live in but just as a note you can't change where society is going there's no way we're going back. I'm sorry, ultra conservative Christians. We're not going go to go to some sort of theocratic, puritanical, Quaker-style uh, situation where you know you can ban contraception again, or you can ban gay marriage again, or you can ban gay adoption, or you can ban uh, abortion, reproductive rights of of females. It, it's not going back. There's no way we're going to undo that freedom. It would be like trying to reinstitute slavery. It ain't going to happen. And so if Judge Kavanaugh gets confirmed, and if he does what everybody expects, which is, you know, in the confirmation, pretends like he won't have a ruling, but then suddenly gets in the chair, and he ends uh, the requirement of covering pre-existing conditions, if he ends that, there will be universal health care. That will be, it's going to be anyway. Because every single uh, almost every single Democrat that is coming up right now in this blue wave, that is the one issue from the rural parts of pencil to all the way out to, you know, lefty-lefty Massachusetts. They're all running on wage equality and universal Medicare for all, some version of universal health care, single payer. It's coming And if you get if you if the judge, your judge, your awesome, you know, conservative judge rules that preexisting conditions cannot be protected uh, by can't be forced upon a insurance company, then you will have universal health care. You'll have socialized medicine. Uh, And by the way, the Republicans seem to be running on this idea of like uh, calling Democrats socialist. You got to be aware of your era. If you're over 55, the term socialism is equated with communism and that's why it's a bludgeon you can hit somebody with. But if you're under 55, and especially if you're under 45, socialism, you say socialism to somebody in their 20s, they go, oh, like Norway, like Sweden, like France, like England? (laughs) They think of democratic socialism, where you're in it all together, where it's shared humanity. They don't see it as some sort of dictatorship. They don't even know where that comes from. So if you want to hit people with the socialism uh, label, you're actually going to do the left a favor. Bottom line is... (laughs) <laughs> that uh, if you put Kavanaugh in and he starts doing the radical decisions that you expect him to, if he, if he lets Donald Trump you know, not follow subpoenas or if he lets him try to pardon himself, uh, the, the Congress will impeach and he will be removed and it'll be worse for you. If you get rid of abortion you can kind of count on a constitutional amendment which protects women's rights and reproductive rights and the rights to their own destiny on their own bodies. They'll put that in. They'll codify that in a constitution. It'll be the next amendment on the list. These things cannot be changed now. This is the expansion we are heading towards. And that's why I call this the greatest social, political, economic, spiritual, and technological renaissance in the history of mankind. And if you look at renaissances of past, Italian renaissance, the Northern Europe renaissance, uh, they were preceded by things like oh, concentration of wealth and power in the hands of the few, uh, suppression of ideas, <laughs> uh, religious dominance that forced the that over. I mean, sorry, that overrode freedoms and personal freedoms. You know, these things precede, and it's, this is the last gasp of the last era. The thousands-year, or the 200-plus-year reign of the white male in America is now coming to an end. And it's going to be a new America that is diverse as it is in reality. America in Congress and in the state houses and in the governor's mansions is going to reflect. Stacey Abrams of Georgia, black lady of Georgia, is going to be the next governor of Georgia. Andrew Gillum. The Tallahassee mayor, African-American Tallahassee mayor of Florida, will be the next governor of Florida. And they will be firsts. And there will be many firsts. There will be Muslim Congress people. There will be Native American Congress people, and there will be the highest number of women, sadly mostly on the Democratic side. There are some Republican women There's several races where it's a Republican woman versus a Democratic woman, and so you know you're going to get a woman. Uh, And so there are some women running. The Republican Party is getting it together and starting to look like something I could be proud of again. But uh, it's mostly on the Democratic side. And then comes 2020 when the Senate is up in a vastly better position for Democrats. Because right now, as you know, of the 32, 33 uh, senators that are up for re-election, 20-something of them are Democrats. And some of them are in tough places like Joe Manchin in West Virginia and Heidi Heidkamp in uh, North Dakota and uh, uh, Joe Donnelly in Indiana. If those folks survive and Heller loses to Jackie Rosen in, in Nevada, ding, now it's 50 50. And then Ted Cruz loses to Beta O'Rourke in Texas, now you got 51 49 to the Democrats. And you could go one more because Marsha Blackburn is currently trailing behind Phil Berdizen in Tennessee. Unthinkable Tennessee could also flip. Plus Arizona, where Jeff Flake has retired, and John Kyle took just took John McCain's seat or is about to. And currently, the Democrat Kirsten Sinema is running ahead of um, uh, McSally in Arizona. So it could easily be 52 or 53, even most likely 52 to 48, uh, and then. <laughs> Watch what happens. Donald Trump will be running scared and his criminality will catch up with him and his obvious impeachable offenses, 52 of them, really, <laughs> so by last count. Uh, this is going to flip everything in such a way because the country and I'm not saying this because, oh, it's going to be it's a win by the Democrats and the Republicans are. No, this is not D versus R. This is society. Look around. You know, look around. Is it is it a bunch of white quaker males? No, this nation is diverse because that is what is the best thing about America is we invite anybody and everyone who is wants to be part of the greatest social democratic experiment ever to self-rule and to do it with a, a, a sense of of evolving. I mean, we're evolving. That's the point we're not burdened by thousands of years of tradition right and the only thousands of years of tradition in america was the native americans and they already had the vast majority of them of the of the tribes of native Amer- in native america were already entrenched with a sense of shared community and shared prosperity and shared opportunity. That was ingrained in them in the beginning. And so it's almost like we're coming full circle and recognizing that that's how we started. And we're going to get back to that. So there, there's your traditionalism. If you like traditionalism, (laughs) Native American traditionalism. Love it. Thank you for listening. Yes, this is a roller coaster renaissance and there is screaming. And if you close your eyes, it will sound like hell on wheels. But if you open your eyes and look around at who is rising up and who is stepping up to make the difference, you will be so proud. You will be so pleased. God bless America This has been
0: Possibility Politics With Jeff Stein Uh. The social, political, pop-cultural discussion show That looks at life through the rose-colored eyes Of the almost criminally optimistic Jeff Stein
2: If people say your dreams are crazy If they laugh at what you think you can do Good stay that way. Because what non-believers fail to understand is that calling a dream crazy is not an insult. It's a compliment. Don't try to be the fastest runner in your school or the fastest in the world. Be the fastest ever. Don't picture yourself wearing OBJ's jersey. Picture OBJ wearing yours. Don't settle for homecoming queen or linebacker. Do both. Lose 120 pounds and become an Ironman after beating a brain tumor. Don't believe you have to be like anybody to be somebody. If you're born a refugee, don't let it stop you from playing soccer for the national team at age 16. Don't become the best basketball player on the planet. Be bigger than basketball believe in something even if it means sacrificing everything when they talk about the greatest team in the history of the sport make sure it's your team if you have only one hand don't just watch football play it at the highest level and if you're a girl from compton don't just become a tennis player become the greatest athlete ever yeah that's more like it so don't ask if your dreams are crazy ask if they're crazy enough